Hi, I'm Fiona, CEO of Farmers for Climate Action. You're listening to the Over the Fence podcast, bringing you stories from farmers on the front lines of climate change and exploring issues at the intersection of climate and agriculture. Today, I'm talking to Peter Walsh, member for Murray Plains in Victoria and leader of the Victorian National Party. I'm chatting to Peter about how he ended up in politics and his hopes for regional Victoria, agriculture, and how he'd like to see us tackle climate change. As always, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can get in touch with us via email or over social media. Our email is info at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Here's my interview with Peter. Thanks so much for joining us today, Peter. We're looking forward to having a bit of chat with you about your background, your farming experience and what you've got planned with the Nats and your priorities. All right, no, pleasure to be here. Oh, fantastic. I thought I would jump in first with a question about you. So can you tell me a bit about yourself and your introduction to farming, Peter? So I grew up on the family farm and little district called Ferniehurst, which is southeast of Bortin, you know, north central Victoria. My grandfather went there as a soldier settler uh, after World War One, and then obviously Dad followed on, and then I was raised on that farm. Uh, but I ended up on the northeast of Board actually with an irrigation property, uh, growing tomatoes was my main time in, in agriculture, growing tomatoes for the canneries, field field grown, machine harvest. Do you have any particular memories of growing up on a farm, Peter? Most definitely. Something I always, you know, despite my mother's best intentions of wanting me to stay at school and go to university, always wanted to go home on the farm. Uh, so we had a blessed childhood, I suppose, that we grew up on the Loddon River, uh, had the usual paddock hack car that most farm kids had. You go down the river fishing, go shooting, go rabbit trapping, all the things that kids do in the country. It was just, I suppose, we were, in hindsight, blessed with the upbringing we had. So you've obviously been really passionate about farming. What made you want to go into politics? It was a progression, I suppose, that, that through my involvement in the in the processing tomato industry, got involved in the politics of the tomato industry, first through the research uh, arm of that, and then subsequently into the Victorian Farmers Federation, ended up as State President of the Victorian Farmers Federation, uh, and faced one of those, you know, crossroads in your life as to whether to go on to be National Farmers President or go into state politics because there was a retiring member in the seat that I lived in. And I suppose a lot of people aspire to be in politics, but to have a, an opportunity in a seat that you potentially win at a point in your life when, you, when you're able to do it, it doesn't come around for most people. So... I made that decision to have a crack at state politics. What have you found most challenging about being a politician? Um, I actually love it. I, I, there is challenges every day and they're always different, but I, I think it is, is something that is the best career possible that you could have. You are there to to help people. The, the theatre you see in Parliament is is only a very small part of the job. The, the, the key part of the job is with your team in your electorate office is actually just effectively helping those in society uh, who haven't been done well by the system, I suppose. Is there something that you'd most like to be remembered for as a politician? Well, that's an interesting question, and I, and I suppose too many people focus on their legacy in inverted commas. I suppose if someone does remember and you become a feather duster very quickly when you leave politics, it would be that you've actually been a, a genuine person who was there to help the people in your electorate because no matter what higher office you actually have in politics, you are the local member and you're there to service the constituents that elect you every time. 
What's your vision for regional Victoria, Peter? You've obviously, as the state leader of the Nationals here, you're not just a local member, you're a state leader. Can you tell us a bit about that vision? Uh, I'd like to see Victoria grow right across the state. Not At the moment, we've got a state that's dominated by Melbourne. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the population live in Melbourne. Uh, we have a series of regional cities. If you look at other countries in the world, they don't necessarily have their capital city or other states. They don't necessarily have their capital city as such a dominant population base compared to the rest of that state. So I'd like to see the opportunity for all of regional Victoria to grow. And I think there's actually an opportunity at the moment with everyone re-examining their lives because of the COVID pandemic about where they live, where they work. You often hear the word decentralisation used. It's how you actually make that real. And I think there is an opportunity at a point in time where people are more prepared to look to come to live in the country of Victoria. What what are the mechanisms available to be able to make that happen? Well, on the, the, as I move around and, and talking to local government uh, municipalities, talking to various chambers of commerce and, and business across regional Victoria, I think the key one at the moment is the availability of housing. That it's the opportunity. There's, there's a lot of jobs out there in regional Victoria uh, from all skill levels, uh, but at the moment if you wanted to move to a particular town to take up a job, the opportunity to find a rental property or even to provide a, find a house to actually buy uh, is very limited. So I think it all starts with actually making sure that there's somewhere for people to live when they move out there and that's that's real challenging at the moment and the, the issues of building material supply, the issue of tradies, the issue of planning uh, requirements with state government uh, have made that very difficult. Most of the municipalities I talk to all say we actually haven't got a ready stock of land supply. Uh, we're strangled by the planning restrictions. We're plan strangled by a whole heap of red and green tape to actually get land to market, then to get the tradies, to get the building materials. We've seen the shortage in building materials in the last couple of years. All those issues are critical to seeing regional Victoria grow. I can definitely say in Castlemaine where I'm speaking from today, there's a definite housing shortage. There's not many rentals and the prices are very high for people coming into our region. So yeah. it will be great to see some solutions there. And, and Achuka, which is part of my electorate, uh, has had a, a subdivision plan called C117. Uh, they've been working on for five years to try and get that through the bureaucracy, uh, and it's just, you know, it is just so hard to get land to market uh, for for residential houses, and then all the other issues I've just spoken about. Coming to obviously, I'm from I'm the CEO of Farmers for Climate Action, so. I'd love to have a chat about climate change today. When did you far first start to recognise that climate change was an issue for agriculture? Well, I don't think it was any one particular light bulb moment. It's it's a it's a progression of information that you you gather over time. It's the people you talk to, the you know, the articles you read, the 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 you know the radio or the TV programs that you listen to. I suppose. Probably when I was water minister uh, in, well, I was water and agriculture minister between 2010 and 2014, but particularly with the, the water minister's hat on, if you looked at the issues, not just with the millennium drought, but over the, the, that 20, 25-year period is the reduction in 
runoffs in our catchments, it doesn't take a significant change to rainfall patterns to have a major impact on on runoff. So uh, if you looked at the, the southern Murray-Darling Basin, there, were, there was approximately a 50% reduction in runoff over that period compared to the to the 80 years preceding that. So that starts to say there must be something change, changing uh, in, in the weather patterns. And if you look at what the predictions were around rainfall with climate change, one of the, one of the very good articles and maps effectively had Broken Hills or Mildura's weather become, being the same as Broken Hill and their rainfall, you know, Sea Lake becoming Mildura and that, that lower rainfall moving further south and, and the statistics are showing that. So obviously we're starting to see, well, we're, we're really absolutely seeing these impacts on Victorian agriculture. How do you think we should be tackling this issue? Uh, obviously, I think it's two, twofold. Uh, the first is obviously action around um, climate mitigation, uh, the work that's going into changing the, you know, the, the sources of energy that we use for a whole range of things. And I'm I'm a great believer. Solar and wind is one thing, but I'm, a, I'm actually a, a convert to the use of green hydrogen. I think there's some real opportunities with green hydrogen in the future, uh, particularly for heavy transport and for industry, not so much for, for cars, but I think hydrogen uh, has a very bright future. Uh, and I think hydrogen can actually become part of our um, battery that, you know, if you produce green hydrogen, you store it, you can use it through um, power plants to actually have that power supply when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. So I think hydrogen, uh, and I'd like to see more research on that uh, and development, but hydrogen can be a key part of our energy mix into the future. And I suppose the other part is is, um, is more research about how farmers actually manage the impacts they're, they're starting to feel now. Uh, and that comes down to research. It comes down to the, what the, I think the plant breeders that we've had, particularly for our crops, deserve a medal for the for the yields that farmers are achieving now compared to the varieties we would have had 30 or 40 years ago. The, the rainfall use efficiency of those varieties, of the way farmers are farming, I think is, is, is a true credit to them. But we need to make sure governments are investing in the base research. It's all right to have private enterprise doing the extension and the testing of new varieties, new chemicals, new ways of farming, but you need the long-term base research being done by uh, governments. And tragically, we've seen a significant reduction in the money for that. Uh, and a lot of the corporate memory go out the door, particularly with the reductions in AgVic, staff in AgVic here in Victoria over the last six to 12 months. So we've talked about the development of green hydrogen and solar and wind and some of that great research that has been able to come through to help farmers become more productive. But are you able to talk a bit more about the opportunities that you see for Victorian farmers and regional communities in a low emissions future and how we can best support them to take advantage of these? Well, I think one of the research areas I'd like to see a, a focus on is our soils. The, uh, the whole concept of increasing soil carbon is thrown around very freely by a lot of people that say this is one of the solutions, but uh, there needs to be a lot more research around how you actually make sure you maintain that soil carbon if you increase it in the soil. Uh, but I think there's a real there's, – there's both agronomic benefits from increased soil carbon uh, around productivity, but I think there's also a real opportunity there for farmers. I would be very cautious about getting into carbon credit trading on soil carbon because I think it is 
unproven science at this stage, but I think there's a real opportunity in the future there. Have you been watching that debate around the integrity of our carbon markets and the reviews that will be now conducted on that? I I have, and and that's why I'd say caution uh, to sign yourself up to a contract to deliver something that you're not sure you can achieve or not sure is stable in a in a changing environment, I think, is is a risk, uh, which is why there needs to be a lot more research. But I think changing farming practices, changing management to uh, both from a grazing grazing point of view and from a, a, you know, a cropping point of view, I think has some real real positives in the future. We just need the, the base research done. And do you see advantages for regional communities as we have more of these developments in solar and wind? I do, but I think the, the, the key thing is we actually need the investment in the power grid to actually take maximum advantage of the investment in renewable energy that we've you know, we've seen Wimmera Development Association, the local government areas out in the in the west and the northwest of the state pushing for uh, upgrades to the transmission lines so they can actually get those renewable projects up and the renewable projects that are already built actually maximise their output back into the grid. And I think that's a key focus that we need to have is how do we actually make sure we get the renewables back into the grid uh, and, and still maintain the stability of the grid and the reliability that we as Victorians, as Australians, expect that if we turn the light switch, the light will come on. Uh, we expect the heater to come on or the air conditioner to come on, depending on the time of year. So we need, I think there's a responsibility from all governments to, to work with the energy sector to make sure that reliability is maintained as we transition to renewables. So we mentioned before we're coming up to an election in November. Are you able to talk a little bit about what the Vic Nationals are offering regional Victorians who are looking for strong climate policy? Well, I suppose we've, we've probably touched on it a fair bit already, Fiona, but I think uh, from an agricultural point of view, it's around that research element uh, and making sure agriculture can be part of the future. It's not you know, seen as a as a dinosaur industry when it comes to climate, it can actually be part of the, the solution, and I, and I firmly believe it can, uh, and that we actually have um, a sensible transition. It's not about having a, you know, a light switch moment where you turn all the coal power plants off or some such thing. It's actually how you plan it out and give people investment certainty. I think a, a lot of large corporates and, and individual farmers are making business decisions based on the future uh, and it's up to state and federal governments to give a clear uh, signal about what that future is so people can make sure those investment decisions aren't wasted because a future government changes the rules down the track. And just finally, you've recently had a change in Deputy Leader, the Nats. I'm sure you'll be very sad to see Steph Ryan go, but can you tell us a bit about that change and what that means for the future? Well, Steph Ryan, who's a member for Yarrawa and, and most recently was the Deputy Leader of the Nats here in Victoria, has made a decision not to contest the election in November. Um, very sad. Uh, someone with a, you know, a great mind, someone with the ability to make a real contribution in the future, but she's made the choice to take a different path in life. Uh, but being replaced by Emma Keeley, who's the member for Lowen out in Western Victoria, based out of Horsham, uh, who brings a different set of skills, but equally a, a great set of skills to, to that role as deputy, uh, has been a shadow minister for a number of years, uh, comes out of the health sector, a health health scientist, 
uh, and most recently before she went into politics, the CEO of a hospital. So given the challenges we face, face in the health system here in Victoria, with, which is well documented, someone with first-hand knowledge of running a hospital is of, un, of understanding actually how the health system bolts together will be invaluable for us going forward. Fantastic. I think that's about all from me, Peter, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Thank you. I look forward to the opportunity to um, maybe make an announcement at one of your future events. Oh, well, thank you so much for having a chat to us and let's keep in touch. Thank you for listening to my interview with Peter Walsh today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to Over the Fence and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in finding out more or getting involved with Farmers for Climate Action, you can visit the website at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Otherwise, connect with us on social media. 